He told me he would wait for you. Continuing on in the book of Romans today, we hear these words from God, starting in the fifth chapter, the first 11 verses. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, or while we were yet sinners, at the right time Jesus died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we might have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And from the fourth chapter of John, this story of the woman at the well is almost the entire chapter of the book. Jesus is in the midst of his ministry, and he takes a detour and goes to Samaria, which is not a place a good Jew would ever want to find himself. And yet, there comes Jesus. And he has this conversation with a stranger. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask of me, a woman of Samaria, a drink? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? 
Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water of those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of living water gushing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right, saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. And just then his disciples came, and they were astonished that Jesus was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. And Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more and then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving the wages and is gathered, gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. 
Many Samaritans from that city believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman at the well, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the savior of the world. Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I know that in our, maybe not in our radio audience, but in our Facebook audience, there is at least a few people who are preparing to be ministers that watch this worship service regularly. And so I want to say to any of you that are on that road to becoming ministers of Word and Sacrament or studying to be preachers and prophets and all those kinds of things that you study to be, take this piece of advice from me as somebody who's been doing this for way, way too long. If you ever, ever, ever want to have a truly miserable plane ride. When the person sitting next to you starts up a conversation and says to you, so what do you do for a living? Turn to them and say, oh, I'm a pastor. And watch the expression on their face. One of two things will happen. Either they'll go, oh, And that's the end of the conversation you will have with them, no no matter how long your flight is. Or they'll go, oh, that's nice. What a pleasure to meet you, Pastor. And they tell you everything that has ever happened in your life, starting from when they were in sixth grade and went to Bible camp and got saved, all the way up through their weddings and their kids' baptisms, and why their pastor now is a jerk and they're ready to leave their church and, and... It all just comes out. If you think I'm kidding, I'm not. It's really bad. It's really bad. If you go to a bar. Because that comes up in speech at a bar, too. Somebody will say, hey, baby, how you doing? You know, and I always go, I'm doing good, baby. How you doing? And then eventually they'll say, well, what do you do? I'm a pastor, and they go, oh. And it's like they can't move far enough away from you. Right? People have this odd reaction to this, to you telling them that that's what you do for a living. And I don't know what the rest of you go through when you're at that point. I know that I once sat next to a guy who was a big megachurch pastor in Texas, and we were talking. I didn't tell him I was a pastor. He told me he was a pastor, and I wanted to listen to what he said, and I said, well, what's that like for you? And he said, well, it's pretty good living. 
And I said, oh, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, I, 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 make, I make a six-figure salary, and then I get 10% of the gate. And I'm thinking, what? You get 10% of the gate. What does that mean? And he said, you know, whatever we take in, I get 10% of that. And that was his talk about what it was, what it was for him to be a pastor. But it's interesting to listen when you have these conversations with perfect strangers, how it goes. And how they somehow think it's okay to tell you everything about them. Particularly on a plane, I think because they know somehow that they will never see you again. Right? This is not like your therapist that you're going to go to every week and they're going to start to know you. They're going to start to know things about you. And they're going to know your intimate details. And then you see them in the grocery store and it's like, oh, what are you doing here? You're out of context. No, no, no. You're sitting on a plane together. You're never going to see that person again. Tell them your whole life story. Because they're safe. The conversation with the stranger that Jesus had is one of those kinds of conversations. He and this woman, whom he's never met before and may never see again, have this profoundly intimate conversation. She says later, he told me everything I have ever done in my life. And if you look at the conversation that they have, really what he does is tell her every sin she's ever committed in her life. Martin Luther said, we are this wonderful mix of saint and sinner, each person. He does a whole lot more of the telling the sinner side of her life than the saint side. It's rare to have a conversation with a stranger that results in anything more than one person bearing their soul to another. It happens. It does. But unlike a therapy session where you come to some resolution or you gain some way to move forward in your life, this oftentimes is more just catharsis, kind of telling it all and leaving it out there. This could be where Jesus leaves it with the woman at the well. But instead, she is transformed by her interaction with him. What she finds in the moment that she meets Christ face to face is so critical that she, a Samaritan woman, goes and tells her whole village, everyone that will listen to her, about this Jewish prophet who seems 
to be just like the Messiah of God. And this woman who has come to the well at the middle of the day because she is such an outcast in her town brings all kinds of people with her. To hear Jesus' message. Can you imagine the kind of passion this woman must have had? I mean, can you imagine somebody who's a total outcast to you, somebody you want nothing to do with, having such convincing speech that not only do you stop and listen to what she's saying, that you're willing to go and check it out for yourself? Only a true interaction with Christ could have resulted that way. You know, Cruz was right when he talks about a well is a thing you dig down deep and then you get this thing and it spins like this and he brings up a bucket and you get water. That's how wells operate. That's what Jacob's well pretty much looks like even to this day. The well that Tradition says Jacob himself dug where this woman was in Samaria. But there's this great little church over in Belmont. I think they have about 40 members and they average like 60 in worship. And they have, they have no money. Because they're really, I mean, to say they're blue-collar is probably not true. They're, they're collarless people. They're working-class folks. And they, in that little congregation, raised enough money to bring a well to a village in Africa. And they were showing us video of this well being untapped. A water well that was being untapped. And the people in the village dancing and singing, we've got water, hallelujah. Woo. But the well was more like we would think of an oil well. Water springing forth and spewing up. It had to be capped and put into a, a mechanism that would allow them to have pipes and allow them to, to turn it off and turn it on so that they could actually use it because the water itself when it's tapped like that just gushes forth spraying out everywhere it's what happened to this woman in her encounter with Christ she was so transformed so moved by being around him by the intimacy he shared with her, by the, his ability to say to her, you don't have to live a shame-filled life anymore. That the living water of Christ sprung up out of her. People who might not have ever listened to her otherwise were convinced Enough to at least come and see for themselves 
who this Messiah, this Gentile, this Jew, this Palestinian Jew was. And many of them found the living water, the bread of life, Christ of God. Because of that one conversation that Jesus had with a stranger.